You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. So excited uh, to be standing up here this morning, opening up God's Word with y'all. But before we get going, uh, I, I do feel like you need to know that just because I'm standing up here, it doesn't mean that there's anything special about me. Uh, the only thing special about me is the perfect Holy Spirit of God that's living inside of me. Uh, I, I'm just a sinner like everyone else in this room, but for whatever reason, God has chosen to communicate His truth through me today, and I'm super grateful to God for His grace. Also, uh, really grateful to Pastor Josh for for sharing this platform with me. You know, a lot of uh, senior pastors aren't as generous with their Sunday morning platform as Josh is, so super grateful to him. Uh, He is, hands down, uh, without a doubt, the absolute best senior pastor I have ever uh, worked with. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Technically, he's the only senior pastor I've ever worked with, but still, the compliment counts. This job uh, was actually my first full-time ministry job. I I didn't get into full-time ministry until I was about 23 uh, years old. And to me, it seems like, you know, it was yesterday that my family and I moved up here from uh, Savannah, Georgia to Crossville, Tennessee for this job. But we've been at Rev Church for uh, almost five years exactly now. Uh, And and that's a long time. I mean, that's like a a hamster's average lifespan from what I understand. That's a pretty long time. Uh, And and there are a lot of things that I've grown to to love about Revolution Church of Crossville, Tennessee in my five years of of being here. Now, Revolution Church isn't perfect, and please don't let me mislead you into thinking that I think it is. Uh, There is no such thing as a perfect church, but I do love it. Um, I love the culture here. I love the desire to see life change here. I love the desire to see people meet Jesus here. I love the desire to see people grow in their relationship with Jesus here. Man, I really love the investment that this church makes into the next generation. Uh, I've never been a part of or even heard of a church that empowers, like truly empowers and equips and disciples the next generation like this one does. Um, I I really mean that too. I also love the people that make up this entire church body. I love y'all and I'm constantly amazed by y'all. I'm constantly amazed by y'all's love and by your care and by your generosity. Um, but, But one of the things, one of the things that I love the most about Revolution Church is the way that this church values baptisms. Um, I love that Revolution Church loves to baptize people. I love how seriously we take baptisms here because the Bible takes baptisms seriously. Uh, As a kid, I went to this church that had this giant, I mean, giant, beautiful, super expensive baptistry. It had these two big, nice stairways on each side of the platform that led up to this, you know, giant, beautiful baptistry with this big, beautiful window behind it. But this big, huge, beautiful, expensive baptistry, I'm not even joking with y'all, it probably maybe got filled up once every five years, and that's maybe, maybe. And every time it got filled up, there would be a new leak or something that we'd have to fix because it's just been sitting there, rotting, never got used. But here we have this little, you know, portable baptistry, which is really cool, uh, but it's nothing fancy. And we fill this thing up every single month. In fact, we have a whole ministry dedicated to filling this thing up and emptying it and cleaning it. I I promise we do clean it because it's always getting used. Uh, Sometimes we have so many baptisms, we actually have to baptize people in cow troughs that we bought from Rural King up here. Maybe some of y'all got baptized in a cow trough from Rural King. Uh, In in, in the old days of Revolution Church, uh, from what I hear, they actually had to fill up the back of pickup trucks with water and baptize people in the back of pickup trucks because they didn't have anything else that would hold the water. 
And maybe you're like, you know, why do we do baptism so much? You know, maybe it kind of loses its significance from how much we do it. Listen, if we had a month where people didn't sign up, uh, we wouldn't have baptisms. But people literally sign up to be baptized pretty much every month, and we have an obligation uh, as church leaders to baptize them. And so all this to say, you have probably seen a lot of baptisms if you've been in this church, part of this church for uh, a while. But here's the thing about baptisms. To someone who didn't really grow up in church, baptisms can be a little weird. They can be a little confusing. Uh, maybe for some of y'all, you just have no idea what you're watching on Baptism Sunday. Uh, for me, it's like golf for me. Uh, like, no offense if you're a golfer, but I just think golf is the dumbest thing, y'all. Like, I don't understand golf at all. I didn't grow up with it. No one in my family golfs. I, I just don't get it. And I got friends who golf, you know, and they talk to me as if I understand their secret little language. I'm like, yeah, man, went out to the course today. You won't believe it, Brandon. I double bogeyed. No clue what that means. And then I got like three birdies. And I'm like, what do you do with the birds after you get them? You know, do you cook them and eat them? Do you let them go? Like, what's the deal? And apparently you have to be given a handicap before you can even play. I'm like, that sounds terrifying. I'm just like, do you think I understand what you're saying? Because I have no clue. You might as well be speaking Chinese, right? And maybe some of you look at baptisms like I like at golf. You know, you weren't, you weren't brought up with it. You didn't grow up seeing baptisms. You, you weren't ever taught about it. It doesn't really make sense to you. Or maybe... Maybe some of you, you do know what baptisms are because you grew up in church, but uh, maybe we do baptisms differently uh, than they did baptisms in the church that you grew up in, and you know what baptisms are. Uh, they're just different than what you're used to. Uh, so, uh, like, I was at an Applebee's in New York once, and I ordered a tea, uh, but this waitress brought me this nasty, flavorless, weird-tasting water instead. And I'm like, ma'am, I ordered tea. And she goes, that, that is a tea. I'm like, no, it's not. There's no sugar in this thing. And she's like, you don't put sugar in tea. She said those words, y'all. And I'm like, what universe is this? I'm like, lady, bring me a pack of sugar. I'm about to blow your mind right now, okay? Like, I know what tea is, but I don't understand this whole unsweet tea thing, right? Maybe that's how some of you look at the baptisms we do here. You know, like you, you know what baptisms are. You've grown up in church, but, but, but we do baptisms differently than what you're used to. So, like, maybe you grew up in a church where they sprinkle water on a baby's head, and they call that baptism. Uh, but here you've noticed we don't, we don't baptize babies, first of all. And before we baptize anyone, we talk to them. We have an actual conversation with them to make sure that they understand what they're doing before we baptize them. And by the way, we don't baptize babies, first of all, because there is not a single example in Scripture of a baby being baptized, just not one. Each person in the New Testament who got baptized knew exactly what they were doing. We believe you have to understand exactly what you're doing before you get baptized, otherwise it's meaningless. Now, we do baptize kids here, you probably noticed, but we have, if we have a conversation with a kid who wants to get baptized, and we feel like they don't really understand what they're doing, we won't baptize them. We'll say, wait, wait, pray about it, let's talk more about it, but we won't baptize them right then. And you probably noticed that we don't sprinkle anyone here. We literally dunk people under the water here because it seems like when people were baptized in the Bible, people got immersed, like they went completely under the water when they were baptized. Plus, the original Greek word for baptize is a word baptizo, which means to, by definition, to immerse, to sink, to drown. Uh, now, if you got sprinkled as a believer, as a genuine believer, uh, I don't think you need to be rebaptized if your belief was real and you understood what you were doing. I don't want to create a law where there is 
is no law here, but I do think the proper way to baptize someone, biblically speaking, is to immerse them completely under the water. That's why we dunk people all the way under here. Uh, Or maybe you grew up in a church where only the pastor was allowed to baptize people, right? Or maybe just an adult man could baptize people. But here you've probably noticed that's not the case. And the pastors really don't barely do any of the baptizing here. You know, our ministry leaders baptize people, our small group leaders baptize people, parents baptize children, children even baptize parents, which is awesome, women baptize people, men baptize people, teenagers baptize people, because as far as I can tell, there is no limitation or regulation in the Bible on who can baptize people as long as the people doing the baptizing are believers themselves. So, So maybe you're confused about baptism, and my point is that's understandable because the church has made it really, really confusing. And, and that's why we at this church feel like it's important to take two weeks every year or so to just stop whatever we're doing, to stop whatever series we're in, uh, and take two weeks and explain things that we do in church that can be a little confusing. One of those things is baptism. The other is communion, a.k.a. the Lord's Supper, and, and we're going to talk more about that next week. Um, but today we're going to talk about baptism. I want to talk about what we believe at this church about baptism. And more importantly, I want to talk about why we believe what we believe about baptism from Scripture. And let me just warn you right up front, uh, this is going to be a little different than a typical sermon, right? Uh, In fact, we haven't had a lot of typical sermons lately. If you notice this year, we haven't had a lot of, you know, feel-good, motivational, you know, you can do this, charge hell with a water pistol kind of sermons. And those are great. And we love those messages from Scripture. The Scripture has those messages, so we preach those messages. But lately, uh, you know, with the Acts series and the Christian or Not series, we've just been going hard with teaching, you know, going hard with teaching. We've just, we just been taking this year to really just establish with y'all what we believe as a church. Uh, this year, we want, uh, we want to leave knowing more. We don't want people to leave just feeling good and feeling fired up. <clears throat> we want people to know more, to gain more life-changing knowledge of the Word of God. And that's what this morning is going to be, too. So as my fourth grade teacher used to say, let's put our thinking caps on, whatever that means, and let's dive into this. And let's go ahead and talk about uh, what I think is the biggest elephant uh, in the room when it comes to baptism. Here at Revolution Church, we do not, we do not believe that baptism is a requirement for salvation. We do not believe that baptism is a requirement for salvation. This is the biggest and most important thing that we disagree with other people about when it comes to baptism. We do not believe that baptism is a requirement for salvation. In other words, we do not believe that you have to be dunked under water in order to go to heaven. Uh, Listen, water is great, y'all. You're looking at a big fan of water up here. Love me some water. In fact, like 60% of me is made up of water from what I understand, okay? So big fan. Water is super refreshing, uh, especially on a hot summer day, right? We take showers with water. We get to take baths with water. Water gives us swimming pools to relax in. When I was a kid, my parents had a water bed, uh, which was awesome until I popped it. Water is great. But, y'all, regular old water cannot save you. As great as water is, water cannot get you into heaven. Listen, you you should get baptized if you're saved, but it's not a requirement to be saved. It's like loving people, forgiving people, praying, studying the Word of God, worshiping, serving, uh, going to church, plugging into church. These are good works that come as a result of genuine salvation, but but none of these things are actual requirements for salvation. None of these things will get you into heaven. Uh, the same is true for baptism. Is baptism a good thing? Oh, absolutely. It's a great thing. Is baptism, is, an, is, is it an important thing to do? Absolutely. It's an important thing to do. We'll talk more about that here in a minute, but it's not a requirement to be saved. It's not a requirement to go to heaven. Uh, you know what? The only only 
requirement to be saved is. The only requirement to go to heaven is, is faith. It's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you have faith in Jesus, and I mean real life-changing faith, by the way, and, and this is how you tell if your, if your faith is real, is if it changes your life, right? If you have that kind of faith, then you can rest assured uh, that when your body finally gives out, you are going to be with Jesus uh, in a place that Jesus calls paradise. And man, we could preach a whole sermon on what that is going to be like. I promise it's a lot more awesome than what a lot of churches teach. We believe that faith in Jesus is the only requirement for salvation. We believe that faith in Jesus is the only requirement for salvation. Let me explain what I mean by that. So at one point in my life, and this is all of our stories, right, if, if we're really followers of Jesus. At one point in my life, I was, y'all, an enemy of God. And there may be enemies of God sitting in this room right now. You may not even know it. Enemies of the creator of the universe. I was an enemy of God. I was a child of wrath, the Bible says. I was literally on the highway to hell right there with the guy who wrote that ACDC song. But now I'm a child of God, right? And now when God looks at me, he doesn't see my many, and y'all, I mean many, many, many sins. Now when God looks at me, he sees his perfect son, Jesus, dying on a cross for my many sins. And now I have a hope that one day I'm going to spend eternity in a perfect world with a perfect body forever right? But, but what was the thing that made me go from child of wrath to child of God? What was the thing that took me off the highway to hell um, and, and give me the hope of heaven? I believe the Bible makes it very clear that that thing was faith in Jesus Christ alone. Faith that Jesus, the Son of God, the third person of the Holy Trinity, came to this earth, lived a perfect life I couldn't live and you couldn't live, and laid down his life as a perfect sacrifice for my sins against a perfect and holy God. And then he rose again to life three days later, and he's alive today, and he wants a relationship with you and me today. I have faith in that truth. And y'all, that faith and that faith alone is what changes my life and changes my heart, and that faith and that faith alone is what changes my eternity. That faith is what makes me a broken, a broken sinner right in the eyes of a perfect and holy God of the universe. Not faith plus baptism, just faith. The Bible could not make that any clearer. I'm going to give you a, a few examples to prove this, and I'm going to fly through these verses. So whoever's changing slides up in the back, I apologize in advance. Get ready. I'm about to test your slide-changing skills, okay? Romans 3.28. So we are made right with God through what? Through faith and not by obeying the law. Ephesians 2.8. God saved you by his grace when you what? When you believed, when you had faith. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Luke 7.50. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by what? By faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. John 3.16 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who, what, who believes, who has faith in Jesus, will not perish but have eternal life. Luke 5.20, seeing their what? Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Acts 13.38-39 says, brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes, who has faith in him, whose faith in Jesus is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Romans 10, 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, have faith in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Where is the water in those verses? It's nowhere to be found. 
And I could go on and on and on, but there is literally not enough time in this service to, to, to read you every passage of Scripture that makes it crystal clear that faith alone is what saves a person from their sins and makes a person right with a holy God and gets them into heaven. The Bible could not make that any clearer. It's almost like, y'all, it's the most important information that a human being could ever receive, and God wanted to make it crystal clear, and he did. But maybe some of y'all are thinking, Brandon, why are there people who believe that faith and baptism saves you, that baptism is a requirement for your sins? Maybe some of y'all have some friends or some family members who believe that. Maybe some of y'all came from a background that believes that. Maybe some of y'all in this room still believe that. Why, do, why are there people who, who believe that if the Bible makes it so clear that faith alone in Jesus uh, saves you, why do, they, why do they still believe that baptism is added on to that and baptism is a requirement for that salvation? as well as faith. I'm glad that you asked that question. Here's why. Because there are a handful of verses, uh, and I mean a handful. In fact, there's really just three main verses that when you just take them at face value and you don't really study what, they, what they're saying, and, and they seem to imply, they seem to say that baptism and uh, faith and baptism saves you. And I, and I want to go over these three main verses this morning to, so that you know what to say uh, if someone ever comes up to you and tries to use these three verses to try to persuade you that you have to be baptized uh, to be saved and to go to heaven. And that will happen to you, especially here in this town. There's a lot of people in this town who believe that faith and baptism uh, saves you. Uh, there's a lot of people in Crossville who believe that. And this has happened to me probably three or four different times just in my five years of living here where someone comes up to me and uses these verses to try to persuade me into believing um, this. And so we need to be ready to give a defense for the faith that we have, as the Bible says. Uh, and I want to try to help you with that this morning. But before we get into these three verses, let me just give you a little, actually it's a big, uh, important uh, Bible study tip. Okay, here it is. It's up on the screen. Always let what is clear interpret what is unclear. Always let what is clear interpret what is unclear. Always let what the Bible has made clear about itself interpret the things in the Bible that may seem confusing or contradicting or unclear. Um, so like I have made it very clear, very clear that I am a loyal, diehard Georgia Bulldogs football fan. I could not make that any clearer. I have been my whole life. I've also made it very clear that I am by no means a Tennessee volunteer football fan. I've made that very clear, to say the least, okay? Uh, I refuse to allow that the color orange in my house, y'all. I, I don't even own orange underwear. I don't know if that's TMI. I'm just trying to make a point here. Not a fan. But if I'm watching the Tennessee-Alabama game and you hear me say, go Vols, when they play Alabama, and you, and you, hear, and you know me, right, and you hear me say, go Vols, would you say, oh, Brandon? He's clearly a, a volunteer fan. He said, go Vols. No, of course not, because I've already made it very clear that I'm not. So, and upon further study of my statement, then you'll realize I'm not a Vols fan at all. I just really, 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 really hate Alabama, right? you got to let what I've made clear about myself interpret the unclear things about me or the things that may seem confusing about me or contradicting about me. If the Bible has made something very clear, like the fact that faith alone in Jesus makes you right with God, and you come across a verse that seems to go against what the Bible has already made so clear, here's what you do. You interpret the unclear verse with the many, 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 many other very clear verses. That's what you should do. But what some people have done is, unfortunately, they have let a few unclear verses interpret the many very clear verses. Uh, they have taken a few verses that sound like they say baptism is a requirement for salvation, and they have built an entire, listen to me, y'all, false gospel on these three main verses. Here are these three main verses. The first one is Mark 16, 16. This is the first part. It says this. 
Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. This is usually the first verse that people quote to me uh, when they're trying to convince me that baptism is a requirement for salvation. Now, you, you, you can read this verse and you can go, hey, there it is. You know, it says, it says right there, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. So you have to be baptized in order to be saved. You could do that. But, y'all, what about all the other passages, of, of very clear passages, of Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture that clearly teach that faith alone saves a person? You would be contradicting all of those other clear verses if you let this one verse make you believe that baptism saves you. No, you have to let the clear interpret the unclear. So you say, well, clearly this verse can't mean what it sounds like it means, so let me study it, right? Let me study this. Now, now this first verse, Mark 16, 16, is actually an easy one. Uh, at first it sounds like it's saying you've got to believe to be baptized to be saved, but look at the second part of the verse. Let's pull that whole verse up there, guys. Mark 16, 16, the whole verse says, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. It doesn't say anyone who refuses to believe and refuses to be baptized will be condemned. So a lack of faith is clearly the thing that officially condemns someone to hell. So that means that faith alone, uh, the presence of faith, has got to be the only thing that can actually uncondemn you, right? Baptism is important, and that's why it's added in this verse, but this verse is also very, very careful to make it crystal clear that baptism is not equal to faith. It doesn't have the same power that faith has. That's the first verse that people use to say baptism is a requirement for salvation. Here's a second main verse that seems to imply that baptism is a requirement for salvation. It's Acts 2.38. Um, it says, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, remember that word for, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what it sounds like this verse is saying is you must be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven, right? Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But remember, we got to let the clear interpret the unclear. So we know the Bible has made it crystal clear this can't be true, so let's study this verse. And when you study this verse, when you really study it, you see that the word for in this verse is very important. The Greek word is ice, not I-C-E, not ice, ice, baby, vanilla ice, but E-I-S. It's, it's the Greek word. Now, this word for, or ice, can be translated as in order to. It can be translated that way. So this verse could be saying, y'all, it could be saying, repent and be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven. But this word could also be translated very easily as because of. Repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. That makes a big difference. So, again, you've got to let the clear interpret the unclear. Here we go. Let's think about this, y'all. Let's put on our thinking caps here because this might really help you one day. If the word for in this verse means be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven, then that means baptism does save you. But that also means that this verse contradicts all the other parts of Scripture that clearly say faith alone saves you. And if that's the case, then the Bible contradicts itself, and it's not the word of a perfect God, and you might as well throw your Bible in the trash can. But if the word for in this verse means because of forgiveness of your sins, be baptized because you've had your sins forgiven, then that means that faith in Jesus is what saves you. But you get baptized because you've had your sins forgiven, and now you're not contradicting the rest of the New Testament. So clearly the right translation of this word for in this verse, the Greek word ice, is because of, not in order to. Hopefully that makes sense. If it doesn't, go back and watch this message on YouTube. Put me on like 0.5 times speed, and maybe it'll make sense then. Sorry, I talk a little fast. But that's the second verse that people will use to try to convince you that baptism 
saves you. But then the last of the three main verses that people use to make this argument that baptism is a requirement for salvation is 1 Peter 3.21. 1 Peter 3.21. And this is the toughest one. I'll just be honest with you all. It's the toughest one, in my opinion. This one requires the most thinking, the most study. Uh, First of all, you need to know that before Peter writes uh, the words in verse 21, before this, he's actually talking about the story of Noah. If you remember the story of Noah and the flood and the ark, right? Um, and 1 Peter 3.21 says this. And that water, remember the waters of the flood of Noah, the, is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in the first part of this verse, Peter sounds like he's saying baptism now saves you. But then immediately, Almost as if Peter knows he said something that can be taken the wrong way. He says, but wait, not as a removal of dirt from your body. In other words, it's not a water baptism that does the saving. It's not water that saves you. It's a different kind of baptism that saves you. Remember, this one requires a little bit more thinking. So remember the word baptize, it actually means to immerse, right? Well, sometimes the Bible uses the word baptism, and it's not talking about what we do here the last Sunday of every month. It's not talking about water baptism. It's just talking about being immersed into something. And I think that's the case with this verse. So in this verse, Peter is not talking about being immersed in water, but being immersed in Jesus through faith, like Noah and his family were immersed in the ark and saved from the flood. We need to be immersed in Jesus through faith to be saved from death and hell. And there's a lot more you could say about that verse and the other two verses. And maybe you disagree with some of the stuff that I've said about these three verses, and that's okay. But the bottom line is that those verses, they just can't mean that baptism saves you. They can't mean that. And I'm not trying to be a jerk or or sound like a know-it-all here, really. I just genuinely do not see how anyone who has read the Bible can, can disagree with me when I say that the Bible makes it so undeniably clear that faith alone in Jesus saves you. Okay, so the next question that we got to ask about baptism um, is, why is baptism so important if it doesn't save us, right? Brandon, if heaven and hell are not on the line here, why should I get baptized? Why should I get in front of, of so many people, get out of my comfort zone, risk my reputation, get soaking wet, ruin my makeup, whatever, right? Here's why. First of all, because here at Revolution Church, we believe that baptism is a command given to every real follower of Jesus. We believe that baptism is a command given to every real follower of Jesus. Maybe you have put your faith in, if you have put your faith in Jesus, we believe, y'all, that it is your responsibility. We believe you are commanded by Jesus to be baptized. There is no option here. It is a command. And if you fail to follow this command from Jesus to be baptized, y'all, you are sinning against God. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Getting baptized is a command from Jesus. And listen, if you don't take commands from Jesus seriously, you have to ask yourself the question, am I really following Jesus? Do I really love Jesus to begin with? Listen to what Jesus said. This verse should shake us. Luke 6, 46, Jesus said once, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? In other words, why do you call yourself a Christian when you don't do what I say? 
Why do you even go to church when you don't do what I say? Why do you even get that Bible verse tattooed on you when you don't do what I say? Why do you post verses on your Facebook and share those things where it says, like, share this post in, you, uh, in five minutes so you don't love Jesus? Well, why, why do you post Bible verses on your Instagram bio if you don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord when you won't do what I say? Jesus has said, be baptized. And if you're not trying to do what Jesus says, just trying. Nobody's perfect. But if you're not trying to do what Jesus says, you're probably not really following Jesus, y'all. You're probably not really saved like you may think you are. You probably don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. I'm just trying to be blunt because I needed somebody to be blunt with me. And that when I was in that situation, I was. Because real Christians take commands from Jesus seriously. And if you're not taking the command from Jesus to be baptized seriously, you're probably not a real follower of Jesus. Your faith is probably dead, like the book of James says. And that's the same kind of faith that the demons have, James says. And also, I'll say this, if you did get baptized as a kid or something and you didn't realize what you were doing, that is not following the command of Jesus, okay? Jesus is commanding you to do it for real. Because remember, if you don't understand what you're doing, it's meaningless. You need to be baptized again and do it the right way if you didn't understand it the first time. That's what I did. I got baptized as a kid. You know, wh wh one, of the, one of the only times that big, giant baptistry in my old church got filled up was to baptize me. But I didn't understand what I was doing. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I know I wasn't really saved. I know I wasn't really following Jesus. I don't know really why I did it. Maybe just to make my family happy. I don't know. But I got baptized again for real as an adult when I finally did start following Jesus for real and finally did understand what, what it meant because I realized that me as a kid getting baptized, not knowing what it meant, wasn't really following the command of Jesus. Maybe that's your story. And if so, I would strongly encourage you and Jesus would command you to do it for real. Okay, so baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is an important command from Jesus to his real followers. But the question that's still left to ask, I think, is uh, what exactly is baptism? Remember, you've got to understand what baptism is in order for it to have meaning, right, in order for it to be real. Here at Revolution Church, we believe that baptism is and always has been a symbol. Uh, listen, God loves symbols. If you read the Bible, you'll see this. God loves to use symbols. Uh, in the Old Testament times, circumcision was a symbol. Parables were symbols. Jesus told stories in symbolic ways. Uh, prophecy in the Bible is usually given in very symbolic ways. Almost the entire uh, book of Revelation is symbolic. These are just a few examples, and baptism is a symbol. So we've just left Bible class. <clears throat> now let's go down the hall real quick to, to history class, okay? And I don't know if you're like me, um, but I loved history class in high school. Uh, it was my favorite class. Unlike math, um, uh, especially algebra, which I failed not once, not twice, but three times. Uh, hated math, but loved history. Uh, have you ever wondered about the history of baptism? Uh, baptism actually didn't start with Christians, it started with Jews. Uh, if you didn't know, the Jews, the nation of Israel, uh, were God's exclusive chosen people, in the Old Testament times, uh, Jesus was a Jew. Jesus is the Messiah uh, that the Jews believe in, whether they accept that truth or not. That, that's who Jesus is. Christianity is essentially a continuation of Judaism, and baptism started in Judaism. A lot of people think that baptism started with something the Jews had called mikvahs, uh, which were basically these holes in the ground that were filled with water. And a lot of people think that around the Old Testament time period, it was necessary to be baptized or immersed in a mikvah in order to become symbolically clean before you could go into the temple. 
temple to worship God. Uh, you would do this to make yourself symbolically, spiritually pure in the presence of the creator of the universe. There was nothing special about the water. It was just a symbol to God. And then people think that during the time between when the Old Testament and the New Testament was written, uh, which was about a 400-year break there, this mikvah thing transformed into something that the Jews would do to, to new converts to Judaism. Uh, so, it, like, if you wanted to become a Jew and you wanted to start following the one true God, the Jews would baptize you into their faith as a symbol. These non-Jews, these Gentiles, were, were, were being baptized, uh, and, and as being baptized, they were symbolically washing away their old life as a, as a Gentile, as a symbol to, to God. And then we get to the New Testament, and we see this crazy-looking, you know, camel-hair-wearing, bug-eating hippie guy called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And this guy, John, was baptizing people in the Jordan River, uh, which people still go to today and get baptized in. And when John the, Bapti- John the Baptist is in the river baptizing people, uh, people weren't walking by and going, man, what the heck is that guy doing? They knew what he was doing. Oh, he's baptizing people. But John was actually doing something a little bit different. Uh, John was, uh, wasn't baptizing people in the Judaism. John was baptizing people who were already Jews. John was basically giving a new meaning to baptism. And this guy, John, had the authority to do that. Uh, this guy, John, was actually Jesus' cousin. Uh, he knew that Jesus Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, this guy, John the Baptist, was prophesied about in the Old Testament just like Jesus was. John was prophesied about as a guy who was going to come prepare the way for Jesus, prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus said once that no man who has been born is greater than John the Baptist. So John clearly had the authority to change up the meaning of baptism a little bit. And so John wasn't baptizing Gentiles into Judaism. John was baptizing people as a symbol of what Jesus, the Messiah, was about to do. John's baptism was saying to people, repent of your sins, get ready because the Messiah is here. Repent of your sins and be baptized as a symbol that you believe in the Messiah and what he's about to come do. Here at Revolution Church, y'all, we believe that baptism symbolizes what Jesus did for us, and it always has. Baptism symbolizes what Jesus did for us. John's baptism pointed toward the Messiah, pointed towards Jesus and what Jesus was about to do. The baptism we do today points back to the Messiah. It points back to Jesus and what he already did for us. Baptism is a symbol of Jesus, and it's a symbol of what Jesus did. And when we are getting baptized, we are symbolically saying, hey everybody, hey church, this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. The symbol for that is when we go under the water. But I also believe that three days later he was resurrected to life, defeating death, defeating hell, defeating the grave for me. And the symbol for that is when we come up out of the water. It's a public and symbolic profession of that faith. That's what baptism is. And I could stop there, um, but I want to share one more quick thing about baptism with y'all that I think is really important, really important. Um, you should get baptized, but just like everything else Jesus tells us to do, not going to be easy, y'all, not going to be easy. Uh, I want to give you a warning, actually, about baptism. Um, it, 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 like if you're signed up to be baptism, I, I baptized next Sunday, I want to warn you about it first. Um, we believe that baptism puts a target on your back. We believe that baptism puts a target on your back. I mentioned earlier uh, that I love college football. Uh, I love UGA football. Um, but because I live in this town, uh, in this state, with you people, uh, that fact about me has put a big target on my back. Uh, as a result, I have been the victim of multiple cases of vandalism, uh, hate crimes, really, uh, if you get down to it. And, and I guess that's what happens when you try to be a light in the darkness. But I want to give you a few examples. One day I'm preaching at, uh, on Wednesday night, preaching the word of the Lord. To our students, you know, and I innocently walked outside, and this is what I saw. Pull that next slide up for me. My truck, vandalized. Hold on now. Don't gang up on me here. 
Horrible, right? Vandalism. I have this little Georgia flag in my front yard that I display pr- proudly. Uh, I notice some mornings it gets knocked over or thrown. Um, but uh, right next to this sign is a tree, and I woke up. I woke up one morning, and this is what I saw in my in my front yard. Um, now, listen, if you're going to TP me, do it right. Okay, that's pathetic. That is pathetic. Um, but, uh, yeah, that hate crime, you know what I mean? Uh, one day I walked into uh, my office, and this is what I saw here at my office. Can you pull that video up? Everything that I had, uh, Georgia Bulldogs, have been replaced um, by Tennessee, that ugly orange junk that you see there. Everything. Um, yeah, yeah. Little did they know at the time, I, have a, I had a security camera right outside of my, my office, so I called uh, who did it on camera, and I've been thinking of a way to get them back, so I figured I'd just call them out in front of the entire church body. Uh, can you pull that first picture up? This is a picture of uh, Ava Wadsworth. This, this, this woman works with y'all's children, and she's committing crimes like this. Pull that next slide up. This is a picture of uh, Ruthie Davis and Bethany Gibson. Again, people who work with your children. Y'all think about that, okay? And, uh, and, and Ruthie's my assistant. You know, talk about betrayal. Uh, then I found out who the ringleader was. Pull that next slide up. Uh, her name is Abby Brown. Uh, she's probably your cousin. She's cousins with everybody. You probably know Abby Brown, right? And then, pull that next picture up. This is a guy, my friend, I thought. Uh, his name is P.J. Barnes. Um, P.J. Barnes is actually a professing UGA fan, you know, one of my fellow uh, believers. And, um, and he was, he's supposed to have my back, right? But in the video, he literally walks in the room and just walks right back out. Like, he is so scared of those four women that he didn't even want to have my back as a fellow Georgia fan. Like, thanks a lot. Pray for those guys, y'all. Pray for them. So I live in this world of East Tennessee that is ruled by volunteer fans, Right? And the decision I have made to go public with my love for Georgia football has put a target on my back. Listen to what the Bible says about who rules the world that you live in. Uh, 1 John 5, 19 says, We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. God has allowed the enemy, our enemy, Satan, to temporarily have power in this world until Jesus comes back and makes everything right. Uh, Listen, y'all, baptism is not just you going before God. Baptism is not just you going before your church. Baptism is you going before your enemy and saying, hey, enemy, I am on team Jesus. And you're saying, all right, Satan, bring it on, dude, bring it on. I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready for you to try your best to stop me from doing what God is calling me to do with my life now. You're putting a target on your back. Um, Did y'all know that Jesus was baptized? Jesus went to John the Baptist and asked John to baptize him and And Jesus was baptized. Jesus didn't have to be baptized. He was already spiritually pure. He never sinned. He's God. But he got baptized uh, anyway because uh, Jesus, y'all, was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. Uh, That's bad math, and trust me, I know bad math, but that's that's good theology. So, So Jesus, as a man, wanted to show us how we are supposed to live our life as human beings. Jesus' life is our instruction manual, y'all. His life is our example. So Jesus gets baptized to show us that we should get baptized. Jesus was baptized. And do you know what happened right after Jesus was baptized? He was tempted by the devil. Right after he was baptized, he was tempted by the devil more than he ever had been his entire life. Because baptism, his baptism put a target on his back. Jesus was about to start walking in his ministry. He was about to start doing what he was put on this earth to do. But before he does that, he gets baptized. 
And I think the lesson for us in Jesus' life as our example is if you want to start walking in your calling, you got to get baptized. There's an order to things, y'all. And, and we see this in Jesus' life. Jesus got baptized, and then he started doing what he was put on this earth to do. Before you can start doing what you were put on this earth to do, you have to be baptized. If you want to do what you were born to do, and by the way, Jesus is the only one who can give you that calling. And if you want to have that calling, you got to be baptized. If you want to walk in that calling, you got to be baptized. No one in the New Testament of Scripture waited to be baptized. No one. Uh, no one skipped the step of being baptized. Not even Jesus. Not even Jesus. Baptism comes before walking in your purpose. And walking in your purpose comes after baptism. But there's something that happens in between, right? And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write this down. Prepare for the in-between. There is a time in between your baptism and, and the time when you do what God has called you to do. Prepare for that time, right? Because during that time, just like Jesus Christ, you will more than likely be tempted more than ever by the enemy because baptism puts a target on your back. So, so, so get ready for, for trouble in your marriage. You know, get, get ready to be tempted with lust more than ever. And that flirty thing that you have going on at the office, get ready for that to be intense, intensified. Get ready to cut that kind of crap out of your life because the devil knows. He knows. He studies, his, he studies you. And he knows the areas in your life where you're weakest, and he'll use those areas against you. And you said when you got baptized, you said bring it on, and he will bring it on. Get ready to be tempted with a, with a short temper uh, with your spouse, with your kids more than ever. Single people, get ready for that wrong guy or that wrong girl to come into your life and to tempt you to do things that God's word says not to do and to pull you away from God and to hold you back from walking into your calling. Oh, my gosh, oh, as a youth pastor, this is one I see all the time. This is a strategy of the enemy that I've seen many, many times. And this one goes for everyone in this room. Get ready for, for new friends and even old friends to come into your life, uh, tempting you to do things that you know God's word says not to do. Get ready to be tempted with things like money more than ever, immoral business decisions more than ever. You struggle with alcohol. Get ready to be tempted with alcohol more than ever. You, ever. you struggle with porn. Get ready to be tempted with porn more than ever. Get ready for that temptation. Prepare your life for that temptation. Cut out what you need to cut out. Don't give the devil a foothold in your life because if you get baptized, he's going to start looking for those footholds in your life. That's how he works. And by the way, this applies to every time God is about to call you to something, to step into something new. There's always an in-between uh, where the enemy will try to stop you, but it's especially bad between baptism and first stepping into your calling. And, and also I'll say this too, God allows this to happen. God allows the enemy to do this to us, to test us, and to prepare us, and to create perseverance in us, to get us ready to walk in our calling, to get us ready to do what he's about to call us to do. I'll be honest, y'all, we baptize a lot of people here, and that is great, that's awesome, but a lot of those people that we have baptized here have walked away. They've walked away from the church, they've walked away from Jesus, they've given up on their calling, and I believe the reason is because they were not prepared for the in-between. And they couldn't handle the temptation they faced in the in-between. you got to push through the in-between so that you can walk into your God-given purpose. Listen to me, all. That is the only thing that is going to give your life joy and meaning. The only thing. And by the way, how do you do that? Well, you fight the enemy with prayer and fasting and the word of God, of course. That's what Jesus did when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. On top of that, y'all have luxuries that Jesus didn't have. Uh, when he was being tempted, you have community being offered to you here. Plug into your church. Oh, my gosh, you're missing out big time if you don't plug into your church. If you don't get plugged into a, a, a ministry that's for your age group or your season of life, and if you don't start serving, man, you're missing out. Plug in to your church. Let people help you through those times. Don't isolate yourself. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to isolate yourself. That's how he attacks. And whatever you do, 
Don't walk away. Don't, don't give up. Let the in-between mold you into the person that, that God wants you to be. Don't let it scare you away from the person God wants you to be. Uh, push through the in-between and walk into your purpose because I promise you all uh, it, it will be worth it. So if you haven't already, I would encourage you, and again, Jesus would command you, uh, quit waiting and get baptized. If you want to follow this command, uh, you can actually sign up in the lobby right now before you leave, um, and we can baptize you. We'll baptize a bunch of people next Sunday. We'd love to add you uh, to that list as well and baptize you too. Because um, baptism doesn't save you, y'all. It's just a symbol of our salvation. It's just a symbol of what we believe. It's a symbol of what we believe Jesus did for us. But it is a serious uh, and important command from Jesus that his followers uh, should take super seriously. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much um, uh, for uh, your word uh, and, and the practical warnings and instructions it gives us on how to live our life. God, I pray for the people in here who know they need to take that next step. Uh, baptism. Um, God, I pray you give them the courage, the strength to do it. You convict them enough, work in their heart, bother them, mess with them enough to where they take that next step of faith. Because, God, you have a custom-made, tailor-made adventure for their life that's going to give them more joy and more purpose and more meaning in life than they ever thought their life could have. But what's holding them back is them not taking this next step uh, uh, and following this command to be, to be baptized. And so, God, I pray that people would do that. I pray that they would uh, break through those walls and get baptized ASAP. Um, and and for the people that do get baptized, Lord, I pray that you would just prepare them for the in-between. Uh, help them to open their eyes to the footholds they have in their life that the enemy can get a hold of to hold them back from doing what you're about to call them to do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word and for the things that teaches us like this. We pray this all in Jesus. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.